welcome to Widowcast Podcast, where you learn how to find the strength to get through your journey and the skills to coach other widows. This is not your average grief group. This is your journey group. It just may show you the way to make something amazing come out of the emotional pain and trauma of widowhood. I'm your host, Joanne Philomena. I'm the best-selling author of Widowed and Widow Coach, and I'm a professional certified life coach. Let the healing and your personal journey begin. Welcome back, my friends. We are on episode number 120. Wow, 120. Today I want to talk about letting go of things, going through that big clear out. This is something really kind of close to me right now because I've been emptying out my house and emptying out my house some more. And I'm in a place right now where I plan on selling this house and moving to a different state. So there's a lot of accumulation here that has to be let go of. It's going to be very expensive to hire a moving company to come in and pack everything up for me and move it like 3,000 miles away, right? So I don't want to fill up that truck. Like the more that goes on that truck, the more it's going to cost to get that stuff across country. Plus, when I find the house I'm going to, I don't have a new house yet, but when I find the house I'm going to, will everything work in there? Will everything fit in there? Do I even want all this stuff? And this entails, even after more than four years of being widowed, Letting go of even more things, letting go of their things is maybe one of the hardest things we do. Now, I know when Jim first died, I was in that deep, deep fog and state of shock. And as I sat in my house thinking, what do I do now? It seemed to me like the thing to do would be to clear out all his clothes. Like, oh yeah. All his clothes are here. I will clear out his clothes. And I think I've talked about this before on the podcast because I felt a little bit guilty about it. Like I just filled all these huge black plastic bags with all his clothes and putting them out in the garbage. And of course, at one point, the garbage can wouldn't close all the way because, you know, the plastic bags were sticking up above the top. And I really felt like, oh, the neighbors are going to look out and see that and know that I've already thrown away his stuff. But it was not all his stuff. It wasn't even all his clothes, but I did empty out his main closet, right? And I just did it in my, in that fog, which is probably a good thing because I was really kind of robotic at that point still. Um, there was still a ton of stuff, a ton of stuff of his. And here's the thing. Where does your loved one's memory live? Is it in your fog and pain and grief? No, that's definitely not where their memory lives, though it can feel that way. And I think it feels that way for many, many widows. I think for many widows, they keep holding on to their pain and their grief instead of being able to move forward in their journey because holding on to that pain and grief feels like holding on to their loved one. 
right? Does your loved one's memory live in the things they had in their possession while they were on earth? No, it's not there either. Though we all have such a hard time letting go of the things that they had because we fear losing them. We fear forgetting them. Like I, I think one of my fears was forgetting the smell of Jim and his smell is this terrible thing to talk about. This doesn't sound good, but I'm being really honest here. His smell had nothing to do with aftershave or fabric softeners in his clothes or anything like that. Just his skin had a very, to me, a very distinctive smell. When I hugged him, there was a very distinctive smell that was like all Jim. And I thought, oh, if I get rid of all his things, I won't even remember this smell. But I promise you, it's been over four years now since he died and I can close my eyes and I know that smell. It's in my memory banks for sure. So <clears throat> where does that memory live? And as cheesy as this sounds, and it sounds really cheesy, I acknowledge that right up front, your loved one's memory lives in you. It lives in the stories you tell, about him. It lives in the memories you share with friends or with family, or even just memories that come up when you're sitting there all by yourself. It especially lives in the things that you do that your loved one taught you, right? It lives in the things you do in their honor and in their memory. It lives in every single silly little thing you used to do to stay connected, right? I know that I look back at the 21 years that Jim and I were together and the amount of things that I learned during my time with him, the things I learned from him, I, I don't think I could even record them all. Not in book after book after book after book. I learned so much from him and I know I carry that inside of me now. Some of it is part of what I teach even because he was just a master at understanding how we create our worlds around us. Right? So now it's easy to see why the reality of loss can be confusing. And in the beginning, it is very painful trying to go through things and let go of things in the house right? Their clothes, their things, maybe the chair that they sat in all the time and you look at it and it's like so worn and it's time for it to go, but you really don't want to let go of that. And it feels like, it feels like if you let it go, your loved one's memory is disappearing, which means your love for them is getting less. And I promise you that is not what's happening. Because as human beings, we are so resilient and adaptable. And as time passes, your brain begins to manage the emotional pain. And you slowly, but you can get a little more control over the memories. And as the pain starts to ease up, you're going to realize that your loved one is not disappearing as your pain diminishes right? You're learning to live with the memory of them in a different way. 
And the memory of them actually becomes less painful. Now, when I see something that reminds me of something that Jim and I used to do or something he used to do, or just something that reminds me of him, it's no longer like a punch in the gut for me. Now it's like just wonderful nostalgia, wonderful memories, and it feels good. You know, at first, at first, after becoming widowed, Every time I removed something that he had owned or that he bought for me, it felt like I was betraying him. You know, when we're fresh with grief, it's like everything is sharp and everything hurts. Everything reminds us of the person we lost and it, it feels painful. And Every time I removed something that I thought Jim would be disappointed about it being removed, I could just feel my stomach drop like every time. And I would think, am I erasing him? Am I erasing him in some way? Now I know I'm not that I haven't because as I said, you know, more than four years later, I can close my eyes and remember even what he smelled like. That's not going away. Things are going away. I can remember um, when I first had a dream. It wasn't even the first dream, but it was a dream where he came back. Probably all widows eventually have that dream where in your dream, they just, they show up like he was in the house. He was coming upstairs and I grabbed him and I hugged on him like he was back from death. And my first thought was, oh God, I've given away all your clothes. I am so sorry. I got rid of all your clothes. And he just smiled and kind of patted my shoulder and said, don't worry about that. I don't need those things. And then I remembered that I still had his glucose meter. Like Jim was diabetic. And I said to him, oh, we probably should check your blood sugar right away now that you're back you know, and I remember pulling him into his den and to get the, uh, the glucose meter out to take a blood sugar reading. And that's when I woke up. And the truth was at that point, I still had his blood sugar meter. I had his glucose meter and strips and everything. And I, you know, I think it took me a couple of years before I could even let go of that, which I know that sounds crazy, um, and it was finally like when all the strips and everything were outdated, they all have an expiration date on them. And, you know, I finally said, why am I keeping the glucose meter? You know, let this go. I've talked before on this podcast about when I had that realization at almost two years after he died, it was 22 months after he died and I was flying home on an airplane and I had the realization that I was still thinking of myself as Jim's wife and that I wasn't his wife anymore. I was his widow and that there was a difference. And for some of you, if you are brand new widows, I know this sounds very weird to you, but we do get to that point. You know, it's like for the 22 months before that, I intellectually knew Jim was dead. 
I intellectually knew he was never coming back again. He had requested to be cremated and his ashes spread into the river behind his grandmother's place where he used to swim as a little kid and that those ashes he, we knew going down the Esopus would go back into the Hudson River and fr the Hudson River be carried back past the city where he grew up and where he spent almost his entire life, right? It was like a final journey back the way he had come from. I intellectually knew Jim was gone. But for those 22 months, those first 22 months, there was something inside of me, deep inside of me, that really felt like he would show up again. That's the strangest thing. At first, it was his car, his car parked in the driveway. I would see it through the living room windows every time I walked through the living room. Out of the corner of my eye, I, would, I could see his car there in the driveway, like just a little piece of the front or something. And my mind would always go, oh, Jim's home, because his car was there. That's how it was for years. I would walk through the living room and it would be like, oh, Jim's home. And I would go open the back door and even meet him halfway from the driveway into the kitchen to give him a hug, right? So at that point, I wasn't ready to sell his car yet. I was still using his car for winter travel because his car was the one that was amazing in the snow. But I moved it out of the driveway and parked it out on the street, kind of over at the very corner end of my property so that I wouldn't keep glancing out and seeing his car and having that little heart flutter moment of, oh, Jim's home. That's like, no, he's not home. He's dead. It's like this constant reminder. At 22 months, when I made that mental leap, where suddenly it's like the core of my being recognized he's never coming back. You're not his wife anymore. You're his widow. You will get to see him again someday. This is my firm belief about the afterlife. You may not share that belief with me, but I have that firm belief. I know in the afterlife, we get to sit down together. We can even talk about everything that's happened since he passed away. It's going to be fun. But at 22 months, I had that realization. And then I came home and I didn't think much more about it. I took my suitcases upstairs, walked into my bedroom and went, oh, I still have those ugly drapes. I hated those drapes when we bought this house, but they were in such good shape. I didn't want to just throw them out and figured I could decorate around them. And eventually we would replace them. And then we never replaced them. And I just walked in my bedroom. And I went, it's time. Those drapes have got to go. <laughs> right. And I've talked about this on my podcast before I went out the next day, I bought new drapes and then I bought a new coverlet for my bed that would go with it. I bought a gray lampshade that would go with it. Some new throw pillows for the bed, you know, little accessories. And then I came home and I kind of put every, put the new drapes up, put everything in the room that I had bought, changed some things around. And it was lovely in there. And when I went upstairs that evening and I opened the door, walked into the bedroom and it was like, oh, it's so pretty in here and it's so calm. I love it. It's exactly the way I want the bedroom. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I thought, oh, a week ago, I would not have been able to change our bedroom. But I had that realization deep in my soul that he was not coming back. And it freed me to redo that bedroom in my taste, something I wanted, 
And I have to tell you, it felt so good. And it still does. Every night when I go upstairs to bed, I love that bedroom because it reflects me. And as I made more progress with these kinds of things, you know, slowly kind of changing a few things over here and there, changing a couple things on the wall in the living room, I knew if I could ask Jim in that moment, he might remind me to keep a couple special things, you know, the ones that brought the best memories, but he wouldn't want me to be burdened with things he left behind. Moving on from those tangible things doesn't mean I don't love or miss him, right? It's a hopeful, progressive part of the grieving process to begin to be able to let go of things. I began photographing things with my iPhone, taking pictures of things I wanted to remember without having to keep the physical item, right? I have even pictures of a couple of his jackets and a shirt on my iPhone. <laughs> it sounds nuts, I'm sure, but it's like, I want to look back at that. I don't, I wanted to give up the things, but I didn't want to give up the memories. And because I was afraid of certain things I would not be able to picture in my mind or I might forget about, I took pictures. Now over time and over the last, what is it, four years and three months, I have been changing things over in the house, not everything, but as I said, slowly changing things that are on the walls in the living room. I've changed out throw pillows. I've added pieces and my design style has really evolved. You know, once what was once a shared style between Jim and I, when we first married and like merged our things together and made uh, concessions to each other for things that maybe I had that he didn't like, things he had that I didn't like, but just kind of made it all work. And that began to dissipate as I began to experiment with a newfound aesthetic, right? A few older pieces were replaced with new and it felt wonderful. So how do you go about this? How do you get started? I read something recently about a pile plan, which is very similar to what Marie Kondo writes about. Okay. Not in her TV series. They do things differently in her TV series than she actually wrote in her book. So if you are interested in Marie Kondo, if you've watched any of that TV series, I highly, highly recommend instead you go get her book, The Magic of Tidying Up, because that made such a difference. But the pile plan that I read about, it was similar to our ritual of saying goodbye to things that served us well. And this was something that Jim taught me. Remember, I talk about their memory lives on as part of us and what we do. And when I first married Jim, we were living in a condo in New York City. And that we kind of made a deal because when you live in a small condo, you know, we had an, it was a nice condo, but it's a New York City condo. And we decided that anytime we bought something new to come into the condo, the old thing had to go. Or if we bought something new to bring in, one thing had to go out because you couldn't fill a condo with too much stuff. 
one of the things that he taught me to do was when we were getting rid of something, we might wrap it nicely in a bag and set it in the hallway by the front door and let it sit there for some time as a way of thanking that item for having served us and a way to slowly let go of it. And after it sat there by the front door for a little while, then it could go out. So the pile plan is similar to that because it talks about if you tackle things like a single drawer at a time or one closet or one area to take everything out and separate those items into three piles. Okay. One pile are going to be the things you know you want to save. They're practical. You use them. You put those back in the drawer. Okay. Or some place that you might enjoy seeing something to remind you of fond memories. But if you know it's something that you are absolutely going to keep. You make a pile of things you know you can let go of. You're not attached. It's going to be fine. You're going to be able to just let those things go. That's your second pile. All of this is on its way out. The third pile is going to be things you're not sure about yet. You're like, I don't really use it. I don't really need it. I don't know that I'm ready to let go of it. <laughs> right? That goes in the third pile. Now, all the things you're using go back into the drawer or back into the closet. The things that you know you're absolutely not using or keeping it can go right out into the garbage or go straight to a donation bin somewhere. That third pile that you're not sure about, you can box that up, set it by your front door or set it someplace close nearby while you thank those things for having served you and knowing that probably you're not going to be using them again. You can even keep them there a little while to see what it is that you might want to pull back out to use. You can, after it has sat there for a month, open it up and go through them again to see, is there anything now that absolutely goes out in the garbage? Is there anything in there now that you're hundred percent sure? No, I'm going to keep this and use it. And then when you're ready and you have thanked those items for serving you or for serving your loved one, then it's time to let them go, right? Take that process slowly. Now that my house is on the market and I know I'm going to be moving, that process is so expedited and it's amazing the accumulation of stuff over the years. Now it's not just about going through any of Jim's things. This is about just going through all our shared objects and all of my stuff and everything that I'm letting go of. And man, it's a lot and it doesn't get any easier, even when it's your own stuff. It doesn't get any easier to let go of things. <laughs> so I am going through that process of lots of clearing out right now. And that's what made me think of this. That's what made me remember how hard it was initially to let go of things because I thought letting go of those things was like letting go of Jim. Now I know better. Now I know that I carry Jim in my heart and in my memories and I carry Jim in the things that I learned from him. I carry Jim in setting things by the door to thank them and appreciate them before I throw them out so that I honor those physical items. 
And why not? Especially if they're going to go into a landfill somewhere. Let's take a moment to thank them for having served us. So I hope you found this helpful. I hope it helps you realize that you can let go of things. You can begin to scale down. And eventually, perhaps like me, you're going to want to make a move to something smaller or just something different. And you're going to be able to do it well because you will have pared down all these things. Maybe I'll even do another episode later on minimalism because I would really like to trim my existence back to as minimal as possible. I think I would love to live that way. So go through some stuff, let go of some stuff and know that when you're letting go of things, you're not letting go of them for sure. If you want more help along your journey, and why wouldn't you? I think the things that I teach and share on Widow Coaching Center can help every widow, whether you're a new widow, whether you've been widowed for five years, for 10 years, it doesn't matter. Go check it out. Go check out widowcoachingcenter.com. Become a member of the site. Make use of those videos. Join us in our secret group so that you have that sense of community and empowerment and just know that this is not a journey. You have to walk alone. We are there for you. That's widowcoachingcenter.com. I'd love to see you in there. Until next time, get out there and find some joy in the world.